That was great. Enjoyed that. Uh, I got this little note. I thought sure somebody was just bringing me some extra money or something. Uh, but it's a note. Uh, the chili supper announcement. Um, this is going to be a different announcement from even they, they think it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to make a little administrative decision. We've got a lot going on this month, and so I'd like to do the chili supper, if it'll fit everybody. Hopefully it will, April the 22nd. That'll be Saturday night, April the 22nd. I think we start around 5 or something like that. Uh, and that's our chili supper cook-off, dessert auction, fundraiser everything. Uh, it was really a lot of fun last year. I don't remember when we did it. Uh, I think we did it on April the 22nd. And so, uh, uh, but uh, we're going to be having it that. So put that down, please. And do, you know, just be saving your money uh, so that you can auction or you can bid uh, on everything that goes on. Uh, well, all right. I'm not sure how much it did for you, but I, I really enjoyed this morning's message. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, I really liked it, but the um, but Nehemiah. Once you go to Nehemiah chapter eight again, we're going to go back to the same passage. I started announcing this this morning that uh, I was going to uh, tell you why this doesn't work out most of the time. What I was preaching about this morning, and so Nehemiah chapter eight. Now the reason I'm going to use the same passage of scripture is because I want Brother Hopper to come up and read the names again. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> There's a whole lot of names here, and, uh, uh, but we're not going to read through those names because I don't have to. And, but uh, we saw it this morning, and everybody was here this morning except, except uh, Brother Jimmy and Kathleen, and, and the fact is, is that, you know, Brother Jimmy's got this all memorized. I'm sure he's preached it a hundred times to his wife, and I'm sure of those hundred times, she's probably listened at least once. And so, uh, but... Um, but we went through this talking about how we can get to great gladness. And the truth is, God says it's very great gladness. And it's kind of an amazing thing because um, it, it's just a, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture that God takes us to. And so I'm re- really not going to go back in it. But tonight we're going to look at the same passage as this morning, but only in the sense that we're going to use it as kind of a context for us. Of course, this is after the wall's been built, Nehemiah's finished the walls, everything's done. But as I said this morning, they didn't go back to build walls. They went back to build lives. You see, the wall was just a necessity. The wall was something that they had to do. And I tried my best to make that clear this morning that that's kind of what churches, you come to church simply walking in the door and getting inside the walls is not going to build your life. Uh, and, and we saw that they did some other things. And what we saw was is that they, they listened intently. Amen? That means you ought to say amen and say, yes, we listened intently, as you said, listen intently. And, uh, and so they listened intently. Number two, they agreed. And, and, and one of the things to emphasize is that they, they didn't know. They, it really hadn't all been read yet uh, when they agreed. They agreed not even knowing what all it says. And the truth is, when you come and say, this is the Word of God, and people say, oh, I believe, and I've, I've given you this illustration before, but, but when I, before I left here, I would go out, uh, so on. I didn't know much about it, but, if, you know, I'd go out and, and knock on doors. And then over the years, I'd come back down here and visit family, different things, and I'd go out and I'd go out and visit people. And I don't know how many times I heard this same thing. Uh, they would say to me, and I would say to them, do you believe the Bible? And, and good, being good old Southern people, they say, oh, every word of it, honey. And I said, well, that's good. You believe every word of this book? Yes. And I said, well, here's what the Bible says. 
Well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. And I'd say, no, wait a minute, time out. Let's go back. Do you believe this is the Word of God? Yes, sir. Every word of it. Okay. This is what it says. I just don't know if I agree with that. Now, I, I can't deal with that kind of reasoning. You know, it just kind of blows a fuse in my brain, and I don't know what to do with it. Uh, but, but that's, here's the thing. We've got to come to a point, we just agree. We just say it's the Word of God, and I believe it, and, and therefore, whatever it says, I'm going to believe it. Even if it says something I don't like, even if it says something don't make sense, even if it says something that I just think, there's no way it could be saying that, but if it says it, and watch this now, and understand in context that, you know, you can pull scriptures out of context, and that's not what I'm talking about. When, it, when the context and when the Bible as a whole says this, we just got to agree with it, just agree with it. And then the, uh, the number three is, if we truly agree with it, we've got to submit to it. And that's what they did. They, that's the procedure they followed. They submitted to it. And then, of course, when you submit, begin to submit, and this is what people don't understand, you, know, you first just believe it, agree with it, submit to it, and watch this. Then a lot of times you begin to understand it. You know, there are a lot of things. And one of these days I may preach it to you, but I got a message called Strange Instructions. And it is amazing how many things God tells people to do in the Bible or Jesus tells disciples to do. Now, I'm not, honestly, when you read it, you just think, okay, that's weird. That, that don't make a bit of sense. But watch this. Every time they do it, no matter how much sense it makes, and to them, you know, you always got to put yourself in their place. To them, it doesn't make a bit of sense. It can't make any sense. Uh, you know, I always send, I probably told you this already, but you know, when, when he tells Peter to go catch, his fish, go catch a fish and look in his mouth for money, when Peter's walking toward the pond, that don't make a bit of sense. Okay? That just does not make a bit of sense. But he did it. He did it. And, you know, cast the net on the other side. You're fishermen, you're professional fishermen, and you fished all night. And casting the net on the other side of those little bitty boats, we go to Africa and out there, they send those, those boats out there, and they're much like what, you, what, what I believe they were even in this time. And those things are not very wide. So one side of it or the other, this side got no fish, and four feet over here got fish? That doesn't make a bit of sense. Now, Okay, so we understand, though. We can understand. And then when we begin to understand, the light starts clicking on. The switch starts turning on, and that's when God is able to bring conviction into our lives. And, we go, of course, you're here this morning. You walk through this passage. This is exactly what God does because they didn't come to build a wall. He came to build them. He brought them to change their lives. And so tonight I want to look at, at more kind of human reasons. We walked through this passage pretty, pretty detailed. But, but uh, uh, tonight I'm going to give you just some really just logical human reasons why some will never get to the verse 17, very great gladness. Why we never get there. And, and, of course, it's because we don't follow the procedure, but the reasons we don't follow the procedure. Tonight, I want to look at the human reasons and the human reasoning that we tend to live by rather than living by the book. And, and I just every once in a while, I'll do this, and I'm just throw it out to you. But what I'm going to do is I'm just, okay, put this out too. This, this also is one of the reasons that, that I believe and that I stick to the King James Bible. 
You see, it is the English translation that has been used since before the inception of our nation. It's the, it is consistent and has not been changed since before the beginning of the nation as a nation, as a sovereign nation. It, it's been, it is what it is. Kind of like the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It, We on now? Okay. Thank you, Brother Wayne. You can't do two things at once, can you? It's because you ain't never learned to shave. Look at him back to that man with a beard. What is that? All right. It's consistent, uh, and it has not been changed since before the beginning of our nation. It is the Bible that God used to bless a nation beyond any other nation. Uh, it's the Bible that God used to bring revival. I mean, every great revival you study in, in English history, you're going to find out it came through the King James Bible. The reasons that I'm about to give that give us, that keep us from living by the Bible are also the reasons that we leave the King James Bible that has been blessed like no other English Bible. Uh, you'll see the correlation in here, I hope, I think, I believe. All right. Now we're just going to leave the wire hanging loose and out. Because I like to move around, and when I do, I lose everything. So we're just going to do it this way, and hopefully it'll be okay. Am I back on now? There we go. All right. The reasons I'm about to give, there's very important. But I, what I want you to do, go John chapter 11 now. John chapter 11, and we're, we're going to use a little passage of Scripture uh, as a kind of a, uh, just, a, just a, a little bit of an illustration. John chapter 11, verse 38. Look at verse 38. John eleven thirty eight. 38, it says, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and, the, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take you away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I, I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place, where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, unto them, Loose him and let him go. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you bless tonight. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you guide my mind, my thoughts, please. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to Thee, and dear God, there's been a lot going on this afternoon, and, and, and Father, I pray that You'd kind of clear everything in my thoughts and my mind, and, and Lord, the old devil comes in a lot of different ways to fight us, and, and, uh, but Lord, uh, I, I pray that we not be not sidetracked side with any other thoughts right now. So Spirit of God, I, I ask You to anoint me with fresh oil and use me tonight to be a blessing to someone and a help to someone, please. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, here they are, and these are just going to be, like I said, more just rational, reasonable points. Why do we struggle? Why do we not yield to the Word of God? Why do we not trust it? And, and, and it's, uh, the number one is a, is a word that this, maybe some will know that, that understanding, maybe some won't, but it's the word pragmatism. Pragmatism. Basically, you say, what is it? it means that's the works for me philosophy. Uh, truth is not absolute, it's simply what works is right. And see, the reason we don't trust the Bible is because whatever we think, you know, if we've tried something, if we've made something work, if we've reasoned something out, okay, if it works, it's right. And can I tell you, we don't know if it's working. The only thing that we know is working is when we do it God's way. And you, you, we got all these plan and program, but, what, but it's, it's, it's not our great mind, it's God's Word. Number two, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, is rationalism. Rationalism says, it seems to me, reason is supreme authority in all matters. Just how I reason it out. It has to make sense to me, but faith to be faith doesn't always make sense. And, 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 but here's the thing. If, it, it, so many people, if it doesn't make sense, I, I, I don't want to deal with it. I, I don't want to, to believe it. This is so subtle in us. It's a teaching that, that is part of the rubbish of our minds that must be cleansed. I talked about the rubbish of the mind. And this rationalism, it has to be cleansed from our mind. The story of Jonah, uh, here's what rationalism says. The story of Jonah can't be true. Can't be true. Creation, as it's, it's spoken of in Genesis, can't be true. Uh, even the story we just talked about, this story of Lazarus, that a, a man's been dead four, de- four days, but yet he comes out of the grave. Rationalism says that can't be true. A man can't be dead for four days and decay and not embalmed and all this and come alive again. Can't happen. That's rationalism. But watch this. God said it did. And so... Uh, we've got to understand that it did. I'm sure that many looking, on, uh, looking in on Jesus as he said, open the tomb, said, what he, they, 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 when he said, you know, open this tomb, and they said, it's four days. You know what they're really saying? That's unreasonable. Je- Jesus, don't do that. You can't do that. Now, wait a minute. Whatever he says is right, and whatever they say is wrong. Because he's God. Now, they were trusting their reason rather than the Holy One and the Holy Word of God. And, 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 and look, look at me, folks. Please, this is more in our brains than we realize. Don't try to outthink God. Don't try to make everything that God says make sense to you. It doesn't. He can do what we can't do. I tell people all the time, they get, and we've got a whole movement in, in, in our Baptist ranks about Calvinism. And, and they'll say, you know, oh, no, uh, there's no way. You know, God knows everything, and God is sovereign. Therefore, God must choose whether you go to heaven or hell. And he knew that when he created you, so he created you to go to heaven or hell. And I say, wait a minute, you're using your finite mind. You can't comprehend how somebody can think eternally and know what's happening, yet still creates you with a will because that's your finite mind listen to me i didn't create it god did and 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 if i try to figure it out in my brain it'll jump around in my head till it explodes and some of you it will jump around till it falls out your ear it just can't happen and you say well it just i got to be able to figure it out no you don't not if you got a God, you don't. Now, 
And why do we do this? We, it just does not fit rational thinking. We cannot see it or believe it to be possible. So in our minds, if we can't figure it out, we can't make it happen, then it can't be. And I just want to tell you, that's, God can do whatever he wants to do. And God can do just what he said he's going to do. Have you ever thought about eternity? Well, let me help you. Don't. It'll drive you crazy. What are you going to do for eternity? Now, if Danny was here, I'd tell you, he's going to fish for eternity, and it would never get old to him. I've already been with him. It won't get old to him, but but I look at it, and I start to think about it, and I cannot comprehend forever. That just does something to your head. The Trinity. God's one God. He manifests himself in three persons. And we give all kinds of illustrations for it. But I'm telling you, none of those illustrations ever really make sense. I mean, you know, it's the egg. That don't help me think about God. So, now, I've actually got the best illustration it is, but I've probably already told you, or I'm not going to tell you. Now, now, number three is this, opinion. What keeps us from just trusting the Word of God is our own good old stinking opinion. What I think. How many times have I heard, I just don't think, or I just don't agree, or just, well, that's just not what I believe. But folks, we've got to come to the realization what we think don't matter. And I meant to say don't matter. I know good English. Uh, every once in a while, I even use it. But look, it don't matter. What I think is not the issue. It's what God says. When Jesus said, roll away the stone from the tomb uh, of Lazarus, opinion said, but Lord, he has been been uh, four days he's been in the tomb he's been he's been dead he stinks he decays that's what rationalism says it's unreasonable to think someone would be uh, be uh, alive or could come alive after stinking after four days pragmatism says that every time you uncover a dead body that has been rotting it will stink and it has every time it's ever been done and it'll be done this time too not when god does it and then there's experience. What keeps us from believing the Word of God is our experience. And that's what's affecting a lot of our churches today. It happened this way, so it must be right. If we went by experience of Mary uh, and Martha at the grave, they would tell everybody to meet, to go dig up their loved one after four days and find them alive. Say, so what are you talking about? Well, look, Mary and Martha went to the grave four days afterwards. And Lazarus came out of there alive. So you know what experience tells them? That if you've had somebody die, bury them, leave them for four days, and go dig them up. Because that's the experience. It's what happened to me, so it must be right, right? No, we don't go by experience, we go by truth. That's where we got, we got whole so-called denominations, so movements in, in Christianity. And you know what they are? They're just by experience. They're not on the Word of God. They're experience. 
This whole tongues movement is nothing more than somebody experienced something, and from their experience, it became right, and then other people, just experience doesn't make it right. Truth makes it right. Be careful of feeling and saying that this is the way it, it happened to me, so it must be right. I, I just, you know, kind of sideline and, and just an application, but, you know, when you go to rear your children, you know, when I first, when our kids first started coming up, one of the things I thought was, you know what, I turned out so wonderful, so the way I was reared must be absolutely right. I, y'all should have said amen or something. Yeah. But we really do. We think, oh, man, you know, I mean, this worked great for me. I, you know, I want to give names, but, you know, had a preacher, and he used to talk about the fact that his daddy used to whip him with a two-by-four. Well, let me help you. I always struggle with that because I know what my daddy could do with a two-by-four. I've seen him break it one over a, a cow's head. Now, he really going to whip me with a two-by-four? I would, I would not be alive. But watch, even if he did, let me help you. That probably wouldn't make it right, even though I turned out wonderful. Right? Listen, I got six daughters serving God. But if I told you all of my disciplinary actions in their lifetime, which I'll never do because you would all lose respect for me, but if I told you all of them, you would think, wow, is that really the way to discipline? No, that's probably not the way to discipline. You know, most of our kids turn out for God by the grace of God. And so, you know, sometimes you know, we'll think, well, that's the way I was reared. I, you know, that doesn't really make it necessarily right. You say, well, what's right? Uh, what the Bible teaches about how to rear your children. Are you doing okay, Joe Beth? Okay, she was, you were afraid I was going to tell how some of the things you've done, right? No. No, she's the reason they turned out right. The, um, now, all right, here's a scary one. Here's one that uh, it, a lot more people use, and, and really it, it's, 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 it's a scary one. Inner peace. I've got a peace about it. Now, this is going to be terrible, but you wouldn't believe. That's not like a whole lot, but if, even if it was just one, but it's more than one. You wouldn't believe how many former pastors that have committed adultery who have told me, I have a peace about it, is the will of God. I have a peace about it. No, you don't. I mean, you're lying because there's no way you're even at peace. You know, college students, God told them to come to Bible college. Six weeks later, God told them to leave Bible college. Now, one of those God didn't tell them to do. But you know what they'll say? Oh, I've got a peace about it. I prayed about it. What, you know, like 37 seconds you prayed about it? And I got a piece about it. No, you got a piece about going home and letting mama take care of you a little longer. You got a piece about going home where they don't make you make your bed. You got a piece about going home where, where you're going to get to eat lasagna on Sunday afternoon rather than working a bus route. You got a piece about escaping is what you got a piece about. 
No, we, we, we too often use this thing, well, you know, I prayed about it. it. You know, and every time somebody tells me I prayed about it and I got a peace, I want to say to them, well, there's two, two misnomers, two things that are probably not true there. One, you probably really didn't pray about it. And number two, you really don't have a peace about it. Whatever that is. Do you, you, let me help you folks. Most of the things that I found that God really wanted me to do, I didn't have peace about them. I was compelled to do them. I just had to do it. I had to. When I got out of the, got out of the hospital four years ago, whatever it was, and about six months later, when, they, when uh, I was scheduled to go to Africa and the whole world, doctors, everybody telling me, don't go to Africa, you're not even healed up yet, you can't take a chance of getting some kind of disease, you can't do it. And, and I, I went. Now, I didn't have a piece about it. I'll be honest with you, the whole time that I'm going and the whole time I got bands wrapped around me to hold me together and the whole time I'm going out there and I know that I haven't even healed up, so when I get in that water, that even to shower, I, I'm potentially you know, going to get something inside of me because I got wounds and things there. And when, when I go there, I, but I had fasted, I had prayed, and I said, God, what do I do? And God told me to go. But can I tell you, I did not have a peace about it. I was scared, slapped to death. But he said I had to go. I just got to go. That's why when I went to Bible college, I went and I stayed. I never have a peace about it. I was there graduating three and a half years. I was three and a half years without a peace about it. I never had one day of peace about it. I had less peace when Jimmy arrived up there. I had no peace about it. Did we have a peace about going out there and going on a soul one in 95th Street at midnight? No, we didn't have a peace about it. We didn't know if any of us were going to live. I really didn't have a peace about it when I came back to the truck, and the truck was gone. Somebody stole the truck. Well, I'm soul winning. And I didn't have a piece about it. It's what you, you have to do because God tells you to do it. Now, you go back to Lazarus. If they had walked out there before Jesus arrived and said, you know, if they, Mary and Martha went to the tomb before Jesus came, and they walked out there, and they prayed together for a little while, three days into this thing, and they looked at each other, and Mary said to Martha, Martha, I've got a piece about it. Let's roll the stone away and go unwrap Lazarus. Well, guess what? They could have had a piece about it, but he's still been dead. And he would have stinketh. And once they opened the tomb and got to him, they wouldn't have had any more peace. Then number six, we're about to consensus. And again, I, whether you realize these or not, but, but if you really think them through, we have a tendency to do these things. Consensus is what I mean. Sometimes we vote on truth. We kind of, we, we, what we run, we run around to everybody, ask them, what do you think about it? What do you think I ought to do? Again, yeah, you, watch this. You go around enough, and I don't care what you want to do, you go around long enough, you'll find somebody that will agree with you. Especially if you're about to mess up your life, you'll find somebody else that's already messed up their life, and they will agree with you because they don't like to mess up their life alone. And somehow it makes them feel better if you've messed up your life with them. And so 
you, you, you can't go around. I can't go to Brother Felton and Brother Felton and say, Brother Felton, uh, I, I, let's take a vote on this. Let's just take a vote on, on what truth is. Now, he's a wonderful man, but it's not up to a vote. Hey, what do they call those people? Superdelegates? We got a superdelegate. And his vote overrides everybody else's vote. But we have a tendency to do this. We run around and we want to see if everybody's okay with us doing this. And even when we're talking about sin, we're talking about all kind, all manner of things. Look, again, go back to college students. I spent so long with that. I don't use a whole lot of college illustrations. But, but, but a kid starts to decide he wants to leave and he's been there for a year and he's got enough and he's going to go out and be a flaming evangelist and he's going to take off. Man, he can talk to everybody in the dorms. And, you know, he'll find a whole bunch of them and think, man, I think you're right. I wish I could go with you. It's not up to a vote. shouldn't be. And the wrong crowd will most often vote the wrong way. Now, this one I kind of thought of because, watch this, I was just, just this past week, I was out of town, but I, what I ran into was, was some parents that basically allow their children to vote on whether they will continue to go to church. Going to church is not up to a vote. And it's sure not up to a vote with your children. And here's the, the, the statement that was said to me by, by this woman. She's standing there and she said, Well, my children went to church for a long time. They loved going to church for a long time. But then just one day they decided that they just didn't want to go anymore. And I said, Okay, if that's what you want, okay. She let them vote. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. You don't let them vote on whether they stick a fork in a light socket. You don't let them vote if they, to go play uh, soccer out in, in the middle of the expressway. You don't let them vote on all these things. that would they get, well, You shouldn't let them vote on something that God's already said they're supposed to do. God has already voted. Mary and Martha and all the family could have voted two days into, into this Lazarus being in the tomb. They could have had a vote, but he would have still been dead. No matter how they voted. It's not consensus, but God's word that brought Lazarus out of the tomb. You see, it wasn't whether they all agreed that he'd come out. It was the fact that Jesus, the word of God, said, Lazarus, come forth. And then number seven is tradition tradition this is the way or not the way we have always done it and and being down south that <laughs> uh, you hear this as much as anywhere this is the way we've always done it or we've never done it that way before how we've always done it does not matter tradition normally causes a negative now listen to me and that I mean, if Mary and Martha had stuck to tradition, now listen, if Mary and Martha had stuck to tradition, they would have had refused to open the tomb because you do not desecrate a tomb. They would have looked at Jesus and said, oh no. Kind of like Peter saying, oh no, I'm not going to eat that stuff. I've never touched that. No, but when God tells you to eat it, you better eat it. And, and tradition would have said, no, we're not opening that tomb. 
but it's not tradition. It's what does God say? And we have to, all of us have to be careful that we make sure that we stay biblical rather than tradition. Always biblical. And it's so easy to get in a traditional habit. Okay? And a lot of tradition really was based on good things. It's kind of like, uh, man, this must be the night for the, the, the college. But it, it's kind of the reason that the college eventually got to be, you know, like 475 rules. You know, because every year after 40 years, every year there's going to be two or three or four new rules added in there because somebody's going to figure out something that wasn't written down in there. They're gonna, and pretty soon you got rules about everything. There was a rule in there about it's against the rule. Jeremy, just in case you ever go to college, I want you to know. There's, it's against the rule to throw eggs at a, at a, at a security guard. That's against the rule. It's against the rule to throw eggs at a security car. And I read that, and I thought, you mean we got to tell them that? I got to tell them that they're not supposed to throw eggs at a security car? My goodness! We had to write that down? That doesn't make a bit of sense. But it's because things, you know, why is that rule there? Anybody know why that rule is there? Yeah, because one day somebody threw eggs at a security car. Now, I guarantee you when he did it, he got in trouble and they didn't have to have the rule written down. Now, tradition, though, it, all, it usually starts with, with some kind of sensible, reasonable foundation, but it can kind of morph into something. And not throwing eggs at a security car morphed into you could almost get expelled if you threw a snowball at somebody. Let me help you. It snows there. And you got 18-year-olds in the snow. What do you think they're going to do? And how many people have died from a snowball? You understand? Yeah, but what's wonderful is these, Mary and Martha, obeyed the words of Jesus rather than their tradition. So, tonight, all this about this morning and tonight, you can, hopefully you can understand my emphasis. My emphasis is, is that we've seriously got to, look, not just read the Bible, but actually look at it and say, God, what are you telling me? Bring me to a point of understanding it. And you know how I get there? i got to first look at it and, and say, I believe it. i got to look at it and say, I believe it, and i got to go further than that and say, dear God, I agree with you. And people say, well, you know, hey, let me show you something. You, know, well, you really don't have to. I still believe it. And I still agree with it. Well, what if it says something that's totally wrong? Um, it doesn't. It can't. Well, why can't it? Because it's the Word of God. Hey, watch this. I'm going to even go farther. I'm going to submit to it. And oh, my goodness. Go against all the world today. You're going to submit to it? You're going to actually live it? Best I can. Not perfectly. I wish I could do it perfectly, but I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly, but I'm going to do it best I can. 
And why? Because God's going to bring conviction in my life. When I begin to understand it, he's going to start turning the light bulbs on in my head. And the more he turns them on, the more light is going to shine on some areas of my life. And he's going to bring conviction to it. And watch that. That's not to hurt me. It's to bring me to greater gladness. Some will say that we put too much into the Bible. They'll call it a man-made book written by man. But I believe this book is the only book that claims to be equivalent with God and is. You say equivalent with God? Yeah, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when I believe this, what it just said, and I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, then I must also believe in what he said. And that's why God said that he uh, magnifies his word above his own name. Because watch this, folks. If, you, if your word is not good, your name is no good. And Jesus said, you can trust my word. Matter of fact, I magnify my words above my own name. And watch it. And there is no greater name than the name of Jesus. We got to just, I, I said this morning, it's not hard. I mean, it, it can be hard day by day doing what we're supposed to do, but, it, but it's simplistic. It's a very simple formula, but we got to decide to do it. And as I said this morning, it's the reason 38 years ago people said it'll It'll wear off. When Jimmy and I met 36 years ago or something, I'm sure a whole lot of people said to him just like they said to me, that'll wear off. Your zeal will calm down. You'll, it, it'll kind of wear, you know, it'll play out. No, it doesn't have to. And it won't if you just follow that little procedure that we see in Nehemiah. Believe it. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love.